Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Another fun week talking with so many people. I really am humbled and appreciate the confidence that you have in myself and Julie in um, trusting us with our clinical knowledge, uh, practical experience, clinical expertise. I really enjoyed doing this program and never thought uh, it would reach the magnitude that it has so uh, much uh, appreciation. Um, for a lot of you guys who follow this program know that I do this very organically. Uh, I don't plan on what I'm going to talk about. And um, it's ironic the topic that I am going to talk about um, comes at this time of year. For those of us in the United States, we've just come off the season of Thanksgiving. Um, and for most of the world, uh, depending on different religious affiliations, we're entering into the holiday season, whether that's Christmas, whether that's Hanukkah, whether that's Kwanzaa, other um, holidays of celebration moving into the new year. Today's topic um, is depression. And one of the main reasons of starting this podcast was to demystify mental health and to give it a face, give it a sense of legitimacy, uh, a level of parity with medical conditions like diabetes, autoimmune disorders, uh, epileptiform activity, which is which is seizure disorder. So depression. Uh, is probably one of the most common, commonly diagnosed uh, psychiatric conditions affecting a vast majority of individuals, children, adolescents, adults, a geriatric population. Um, there's a great uh, website I would encourage you guys to take a look at. It's called the Real Depression Project. And the reason I, I encourage it, Julie actually found it, and it... it if to get a chance to look at the quotes um, posted by a lot of individuals struggling with various forms of depression, uh, I think they do a really good job of of shedding that. You know, I can give you the, the neuropsych perspective and, and all the clinical terminology and the diagnostic piece, but I think this this website really is a great way if you don't understand if you are depressed, if your child is depressed, if your spouse, parent, partner, whatever. Uh, again, it's called the Real Depression Project. And I, I want to read something uh, of one of the one of the posts. Uh, someone wrote, it's crazy to me that people with depression get accused of attention seeking when we spend all of our energy faking a smile because others can handle our suffering, we don't want to burden them with. I think that's a really apropos depiction of of depression because it doesn't have any overt signs. It doesn't have uh, signs of you know like OCD. Just take the classic hand washer. That's very observable. Uh, anorexia. That's very observable. Psychosis is observable as well. Depression isn't. And it, it manifests in either major depressive disorder, uh, the, a childhood version, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which is essentially adolescent depression that looks like oppositional defiant disorder or conduct disorder, but is really mood driven. Um, bipolar depression, 
which is a very different type of depression than major depressive disorder and is, is, is medicated very differently. So in, in, in bringing light to depression, it, it's very important that we understand that individuals are in a great deal of pain. Uh, and many individuals, I think, initially don't really know why they are depressed. You can have situational depression. Uh, maybe there's an anniversary holiday uh, of losing somebody. You know, I, 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 I'm sad on, the, on certain days, you know, that I did with my dad or my mom, but I, I wouldn't classify that I would, when it's like clinical depression. So sadness and depression are not necessarily synonymous, but depression is a really a constellation of, of, of diagnostic symptoms that can uh, manifest in, in, in a wide variety of psychiatric disorders. But, you know, a lot of people... Um, don't always, unless you have something situational, they're not always able to pinpoint why they're depressed. They, 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 they can sometimes equate it with the blues or I'm just feeling down. And a lot of the times there's a lot of shame associated with depression. Uh, a lot of shame that why can't I pull myself out of this? Uh, there can be an over-reliance on medication. Um, you know, the SSRIs, the SSNRIs take two to four to six to eight weeks to get maximum efficacy. So, you know, I don't know if Julie's going to pop on at some point. So if, 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 if you've been on psychiatric medications, uh, antidepressants, uh, you've been on multiple ones that, that haven't worked, uh, definitely talk to your prescriber about getting your folate levels checked. Because if you're, if you do not convert folate properly, no antidepressant will work. And again, not surprised I'll say this, get a full neuropsych eval because it's very important to understand is it unipolar depression, which is medicated very often with SSRIs, SSNRIs, Paxil, Prozac, Zoloft, Defexor, Cymbalta, Lexapro, Celexa versus bipolar depression, which is a much deeper and darker depression. And that's generally medicated by some, something like Latuda or Lorazidone that, that treats the, the, the severity of that depression. But again, the lack of a face and the la and it, and people will often say that, you know, I, I'm the happy clown. Or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the sad clown. I have the exterior smile, and it takes a lot of effort for me. I could play the role, but no one knows what's going on inside internally. No one knows the pain, and, and people hide it, and they, and they play those roles, and it's, it's very exhausting. And, uh, you know, this time of year, uh, we have a disorder. I don't think I've ever diagnosed it, seasonal affective disorder. I just always think, you know, this time of year, you know, here in Massachusetts, it's like before four o'clock now, it's getting dark. You know, Jewel and I were like watching TV the other night. It's like 6.30. It's like, is it time for bed? I'm like, what time is it? 6.30. It's like, geez, your mind, you start to like almost kind of acquiesce into the state of uh, it, it. it's nighttime. And for people with depression, the darkness is not good. I've said this in multiple episodes. The worst place for any of us to spend any amount of time is in our own heads because that gets into the ruminative ideations. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to mount anything. I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to feel better. There's no magic cure, even to the point of why bother? 
So hopelessness is the best predictor of suicidality or suicidal ideations. But again, it's, it's again, being, being the sad clown, I think is a good depiction of depression. Um, it, it you know, People will show depression in a therapist's office. They'll show it to their, to their primary care, but to the external world, they still have to play a certain role. They may not want to show a certain weakness. If you know, if you're raised in a family where you never talked about emotion, it's very difficult for somebody with depression to even want to begin to go down that journey of talking about how they feel. Again, from a cognitive behavioral perspective, I'm going to focus more on the thoughts. With the you know the empathy and the understanding the of the emotional pain the person is in, but it 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 it's it's almost like okay I, I can talk about it with with my doctor my therapist but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to show my kids that I don't want to show my 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 partner that I don't want to show my spouse that I don't want to show my parents that so there's a lot of effort in 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 for individuals with depression depression playing multiple roles and depression is often associated with with, with what's called comorbidity uh for example depression and anxiety typically go hand in hand and they're called the common colds of mental illness and in working with people with depression again primarily as a diagnostician but in in, in listening to people's stories about the de- their depression the, a common theme that comes across, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but is nobody understands. Nobody understands what it's like to feel like this. Nobody understands what it's like when I'm at work, how much effort it takes to just get up in the morning and shower and go and put on this smile and, and get get the work done. It, it's, it's almost like uh, overloading a, a donkey you know, beyond its capacity to carry a reasonable amount of weight, it's 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 consuming. You know, I've used this in the episode in the title of a Bruce Springsteen song, but I've used this in the episode about fear. Depression, I think, will take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. And despair is a horrible feeling to feel. Hopelessness is a horrible feeling to feel. So when I'm giving assessments and doing like the MMPI and you do what's called a critical item analysis or different rating scales, you're looking people's at people's different, we basically break the test down into how, uh, why there's different elevations on different scales. And you're looking at, you know, people's actual responses to specific questions. These individuals with, de- with depression are in an extreme amount of pain and it is a really misunderstood and, um, it really misunderstood diagnosis and you know again to to shed light on on this nebulous part i think it's also from my perspective important to understand and i don't understand why we don't why anger is not a part of the diagnostic criteria for depression uh we have it for the ad, uh, the childhood and adolescent version prior to the the current diagnostic manual the, the fifth version uh we have what's called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder that i mentioned earlier and that is essentially prior to that all kids were diagnosed with conduct disorder or or obsessional defiant disorder but the behaviors look the same the etiology or the or the the um 
the causative factor for it is totally different, where in disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, the behavioral dysregulation is accounted for by depression and mood irritability versus opposition defiant disorder, conduct disorder, the behavior behavior problems are purposeful and deliberate. So it's very important, again, to get the neuropsych eval to understand what is the diagnostic picture, because that will impact the type of therapy, whether that's behavioral therapy, uh, and also if, it, if it's medication. So, uh, you know, other things that I think that... Um, it's it's like it's like people feel like there's there's a fog, and that the world in, invalidates them. Um, they feel um, a lot of embarrassment. They feel a lot of shame, and again, trying to navigate with dealing with the impact and severity of depression, whether that's unipolar depression, bipolar depression. Uh, and really not feeling like they can get anywhere. And sometimes when people who've been in therapy with multiple therapists, I kind of get, you know, and understand that, you know, it's like, why bother? Why bother telling my story again? Because I feel the same way. Maybe I'm just beyond hope. I mean, my thing is maybe you just didn't get the right diagnosis. You didn't have the right connection with the right therapist. It could be a plethora of reasons. But, you know, this time of the year brings us, you know, as, as we move into a celebratory period, we also move into a more self-reflective period because the world is kind of shuts down. And I'm not, I'm not talking pandemic related. It gets darker out. It's getting colder out, you know, at least in the, in the, Western Hemisphere. So there is kind of this subtle permission to be more reclusive, to sit down, to um, not exercise as much, eat a little more, uh, not go out as much. Because, like, you know, everybody else is doing this, so uh, I'm not really comparing myself as much. Um, that's why springtime is the has the highest rate of suicidality, and you would think it would be winter. It's you know the theoretical con the perspective is is springtime because I'm still depressed. Life is starting up again. Everybody else is starting to pick up and wear you know shorter clothes for warmer weather, and it's like look. I guess this really is me and I, and I'm relegated to this, this, this mood state. And again, this is a mood disorder. This is also a neurochemical disorder where serotonin is dysregulated. And that's where the role of antidepressants, uh, sometimes mood stabilizers come in, but that is a part of the treatment. The, you know, the research has consistently shown for a myriad of probably all the psychiatric conditions in the, in the DSM, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and, um, psychotropic medication management is, you know, the, the admixture of both of those modalities leads to the most efficacious outcomes. So, you know, how do you know if somebody is depressed? Um, people will often say, I'm fine. That's a very common thing that people will say who are depressed is, I'm fine. And, 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 people, and the only reason people say that, because somebody asked that question because they sense someone's a little off. You know, you can only hide your pain so well with the, the, the mask of depression. You can only hide it so well. So when someone says, are you okay? Are you, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. 
that's a clue that something may be going on. There's a chance it may not be, but it's a clue. And people with depression, again, from working with people for over the years, that's something they will often say is, I'm fine, or it's not a big deal. They, they're, they're, there's a minimization, which I think is a coping mechanism to not really admit the pain. And then you, get, you can get into uh, self-medicating behaviors, uh, overuse of alcohol, overuse of, of cannabis, uh, overuse of other substances, um, denial, diversion tactics. You know, I'm just going to keep myself so busy so I don't really have to confront what's going on. Uh, the body can only run so long before it needs to be before it needs rest. And again, they're in the darkness, whether that's that, that that's, you know, real or, or metaphorical. That's when the demons and the night vultures come. That's when the darkness sets in. And it's very hard for individuals with depression, I think, to really articulate why they are depressed. Again, situational depression, X stimuli happens a parent passes away and you become depressed that makes sense but other times people walk around with this depression it's like i don't know why i'm depressed but i know that i am i don't when was the last time you were happy i don't remember maybe as a kid so what happens in you know let's take somebody who's 25 years old what happened between 16 and 25 I mean, you know, they're you know doing neuropsychology. Well, you see, their memory isn't impaired, but and that's where the power of depression comes in. That it, it becomes consuming, it becomes all-consuming, and it, it 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 defines the person. Now you get into disorders like what used to be called dysthymia or persistent, which is now called persistent depressive disorder. And you could have persistent depressive. Here's a long diagnostic label. Persistent depressive disorder with intermittent major depressive episodes with or without psychotic features, with or without anxious distress. What that basically comes down to is Eeyore. Dysthymia or persistent depressive disorder is this low-lying depression that is always there, that has been there since childhood. Uh, Aaron Beck used the term depressogenic schema. We don't have this as a diagnosis in the manual, but it's almost like a depressive personality disorder, depressive personality style. Difficult to treat, especially from a psychopharmacological perspective, because these are very ingrained patterns. So... Where do we go from here? I think creating awareness that that depression is a very legitimate and very serious mental health issue. Uh, it is not as easy, and people with depression get really upset when when they say, "Well, my wife just says take a walk," or you know, "Go to the gym." Uh, let's go see your parents. They give suggestions, and no one is doing anything wrong because if, 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 if you're a non-clinician, you're not going to know, and we do our best to help those that we perceive are in some type of pain. you know. But you know, the irony is people sometimes get upset by it. It's like, well, you don't understand. And then it gets to, I don't understand what? You don't understand how I feel. Well, how do you feel? I, I, I don't know how I feel. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm angry. Okay, that's descriptive of depression. But as I've said in multiple episodes, if you get into psychotherapy, there's only one reason 
that people will begin to change, and that's un- until they get to a place of saying they're comfortable and uh, they're uncomfortable. And there are people that that's that's basically saying, "I'm tired of thinking, feeling, acting that way." And only until you get to that place will you begin to make changes. And again, therapy takes place in between the sessions, not during the session. You can go back to the episode I did on help rejectors. That yeah, I know I'm depressed, and I'm gonna, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, and it becomes an excuse. Well, I have depression. Well, I have bipolar. And, and I mentioned this in the last episode, I think, of borderline personality being a relationship. Explanation does not equal justification. If, 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 if someone's symptoms are causing them distress, and that distress is being, uh, is being extended to other individuals, other uh, family members, other people in their lives, their work. I think it's incumbent upon the person to take responsibility to do something, but not expect immediate results because depression is treatable, it's curable, it goes into remission, but it can, if you have depression, you know somebody who has depression, it could take, it could, the slightest thing could just consume you. And that's a really important point to, to, to get across, that it doesn't have to be this culmination, this buildup, this buildup, this buildup, that it can just consume you. And, you know, I always tell people, uh, parents, like, my, oh, my child was talking about suicide. My, my child, you know, ran away, but whatever. Always, always, always err on the side of caution and go to your local emergency room Call the police, call 911. Parents can deal with a child that's aggravated with them. They can't deal with a child who's dead. And I've, I've, I've had enough experience with this. Err on the side of caution, get them evaluated. Uh, you know, if they're cleared, fine. But, you know, there has to be a level of uh, accountability. And, and, and parents are, are not equipped to deal with this with their children. Spouses are not equipped to deal with this. Um, people in general outside of the field of mental health, and it's, it's no one's fault. It's just, you know, we people don't know what to do when someone is depressed. But again, it doesn't have a face. It doesn't have any kind of uh, manifestation. Yes, maybe if somebody, you know, their hygiene goes down. And they haven't taken a shower in, in several days. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's an overt manifestation if that's completely different from their baseline. But um, other than that, again, think of the the sad clown. The exterior does not equate with the interior, and that's therein lies the pain. And do I think people who have depression, you know, yes, you have a right to complain, but I don't think you have a right to complain and not do something about it. When there are tools and, and, and medications and therapeutic interventions that are available, I think pretty much worldwide, uh, to deal with it. But it, for what? Yeah, if you if if you need you know help, psychology today is a great resource. Um, it it you know it you can put in your area. It gives you a list of providers. You know it, it's a great resource to find people. Calling your local insurance company and say, "Hey, I live in this town or this zip code." Uh, you know, with the pandemic, the mental health system is completely very much backed up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Julie brings up a good point that there there are avenues uh, to even you know even if you know sometimes getting into like a chat room. 
you know, for, if you're depressed, um, get into a chat room, you know, with other people, but other people who are depressed who want to get help. Not into a chat room with everybody just laments and moans about their problems and then just gets validated by other people. Um, also for, for parents, uh, for spouses, you know, as, as, as supports. I mean, there are resources out there, but this is an all too common, uh, cluster of symptoms. And again, back to the, the, the emphasis on getting the neuropsych valve is to really delineate. Is it just major depressive disorder? Is it disruptive mood dysregulation disorder? Is it, dis, is it, persistent depressive disorder is it schizoaffective disorder which is schizophrenia with major depressive disorder is it cyclothymic disorder which is the least severe of the bipolar disorders um is is, is a bereavement disorder you know so it's really important to kind of clarify because i don't know how you can treat something if you don't know what it is i i i, I really don't and again that's why i must you know julie's model is is similar to mine that you know Therapy meds without testing is like having surgery without an x-ray. Because I've said this before, even when you get into like depression, what the Rorschach is able to give you, and and the few people I see for depression, primarily treating borderline personality, what you what that test and what other tests that we have are able to give, there is no way I could be seeing somebody for two, three years. There is no way I would know the psychological infrastructure of the symptom manifestation of an individual. So, uh, I, I, again, I'm not trying to sell neuropsychology. I'm, tr I'm simply trying to strongly encourage that to utilize a vehicle and a tool that is available to give you the answers that either you need or somebody in your life needs. So, Julie, anything you want to say? Um, I, I want to tell um, parents to help educate their kids. Um, the other avenue that you can take and is pretty much the most obvious avenue is pediatrician. Um, if you're sensing at all that, you know, I know Cora's the, t uh, talked about ways in which you can kind of find out, like if your child is behaving differently, was more withdrawn or showing signs of, you know, anxiety and depression, and which I think is even more prevalent. Um, I don't know what the numbers are, the statistics are, but I think since the pandemic, the numbers have risen significantly on both counts, depression and also anxiety in, in children and adolescents. Um, you know, just kind of helping parents to educate their kids and tell them, listen, if you're at school and you don't feel right, go to the nurse. Um, you can also send them to their guidance counselor. However, sometimes they're not always available. They have a huge caseload, but the school nurse is usually the number one. If any issues come up, um, they're mandated reporters. Um, usually, you know, with kids and adolescents, even adults, there are somatic complaints. So there's headaches, there's stomach aches, there's all kinds of things that mimic what's going on inside, be it depression or anxiety. Um, it's very difficult as a parent to see this. You know, sometimes it's not obvious. Sometimes people have no clue. Um, and it comes up and it's like, oh, I wish I knew. Sometimes anxiety uh, really is ADHD in attentive type. Um, so there are lots of different variables, which I go in an ideal world. Neuropsych testing is key. But pediatricians and primary cares have depression scales. I think they use the Hamilton 
or the Beck or, or the something. Beck scale. The Beck scale. So right now, especially since the pandemic, even before, their office is designed typically uh, to include these scales in your paperwork. I don't think it happens every visit. I think it might happen at the intake visit, maybe a first visit. Talk to your primary care. Tell them how you're feeling. Try to figure out what's going on with you because they are the frontline people. Look at psychology today, 100%. Um, but, you know, don't ignore it. Um, psychology today it really, I think, covers the whole country. I don't know about internationally. Um, you can find a therapist. You, again, with telehealth being an absolute blessing, not ideal, but is a blessing, that you can really see therapists much more easily and also prescribers. So um, that was just a, a couple of things I just wanted to to yeah, draw I mean, attention to. Julie brings up a really good point because I've had a lot of uh, kids, whether young children, not too young, um, maybe middle school, high school, who've uh, – I hope schools get – better handle on this you know they've had classes on depression they're, they're giving kids rating scales and i've had a lot of kids in the last several months come via come through their primary cares uh via these these classes or these rating scales that schools will have kids complete on a uh, topic about depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, and then the teacher becomes more aware of it. They have a meeting with the parents, so you know this is this is also a cluster of symptoms that is manageable, that is treatable, and depending on where the depression falls, like major depressive disorder is treatable, it is curable. Schizoaffective uh, disorder, bipolar depression, uh, that is treatable and manageable not necessarily uh uh curable but uh given given the lack of um overt signs uh if you know your kid well if you know your partner well if you know anybody that you're in relationship well you'll see that there is something going on you may not know what it is uh somebody resistant to talk about it that's a good clue that something is going on, but many people with depression don't know. They know something is wrong. They know something is off, but they don't know exactly what it is. And the er the earlier you can you can catch this. Teach your kids. Teach your kids. Teach your kids what? I mean, I mean, open dialogue. It it in. No one's gonna hear you. I mean, I mean, Julie's like, you know, saying it's like the birds and the bees conversation. Uh, open dialogue is crucial. It's crucial. I tell this, especially in families where, you know, kids with this, this whole spectrum of, of gender identity issues and confusion and stuff like that. There's a lot of depression that goes along with that. So open dialogue is crucial. Open dialogue without judgment. Absolutely. I think. You know, as parents, we don't always do the right thing all the time. We try to, our intentions are good. Sometimes we fall on our face. Uh, but I guess in just retrospectively, retrospectively and also in my current practice and, um, through the years, I think it's like, like anything, like the birds and the bees. I know I say the birds and the bees. Who says that anymore? But teaching your kids before it happens, using an example, you could use a hypothetical example if you're, you want to educate your children about, hey, um, 
there was this kid I just saw, or I heard on the radio, or I saw a little program on television, and I was just, I think we should just talk about, like, not trying to draw too much attention to it, but also making your kid, child aware and your adolescent aware that this is normal. Because what happens is they go to school, and then they they have a, a, a larger palette to work with. It isn't always the best situation. Sometimes, you know, depressed kids will, or angry kids will seek out other angry kids, you know. Um, but I, again, just like the more you can teach them, I wonder if there are books, there must be books to help with this. There's again, you know, trying to educate before it happens to help destigmatize, destigmatize mental health. And like I said, with the primary cares, they are the front, the, at the front of, um, you're kind of in the trenches, so to speak. They're the first line. Um, you know, if you have any issues, call or make an appointment with your primary care or the pediatrician to start like an SSRI or an SNRI, something to target the depression. Again, neuropsych testing is ideal. Um, but, you know, again, you don't want to, you want to make sure it's not bipolar depression. So. Thank you, Julie. Um, so... Again, this time this time of year tends to bring out more uh, depression, more of the blues. Um, I would definitely encourage you to check out that website. The was it the Depression Project, Julie? The Real Depression Project, and and really from the perspective of just list a reading the the they're very short, but read like I read at the beginning of this episode, just very short. Uh, vignettes and snippets of individuals who have depression and anxiety or just depression or anxiety just to get a better picture to give you more insight into do, do you relate to this or as individuals struggling with this or do you have somebody in your life that is like wait a minute my friend john kind of seems exactly like what this person is saying. So open dialogue is a crucial part of managing depression. Uh, there are a number of great clinicians that I work with who are able to do a great job in treating depression. Um, individuals like Julie and our other colleagues who are psychiatric prescribers do a great job because, you know, they operate from the, from the perspective of least meds possible, but this, you know, depression, you really need to understand is a unipolar depression is a bipolar depression and is, is, are there psychotic features associated with it? And the only way is to get a full neuropsych eval to really delineate it. And then it's going to be able to give the therapist so much in-depth information about how that depression manifests idiosyncratic to a specific person. So we just wanted to shed light on uh, this this incredibly all-too-common uh, psychiatric condition, but also try to demystify it, that it is legitimate, that people who have it are struggling, they are in pain, Yes, they may be irritable, they may be sullen, they may be argumentative, they may be a pain to live with, but the explanatory factor is what needs to be figured out. So hopefully this was informative. As always, 
feel free to reach out to me through psychology <laughs> through psychology today. Um, you can email me at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. Uh, call or text me uh, 617-750-9411 Eastern Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, uh, be well, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, open dialogue, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.